This is Danny Smith with Wild Seed, the podcast. Today I'm here with Daryl Reese. Daryl, you want to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, this is the first time I'm going to do this in a long time. So um, You're on this side of the table now. I know, man. It's different. It's <laughs> yeah. super different. Uh, my name is Daryl Reese. I am a comedian. I'm a screenwriter, a podcaster as well, and a father, more importantly. Um, Seattle native, born and raised. I live in L.A. now. Mm-hmm. I'm back for the holidays and just excited to do something like this. This is dope. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for being here. And what was growing up in Seattle like? I know you talk about that a lot, so I kind of want to just hit on that. Uh, Man, grew up in Seattle, man, between the CD and the South End. It was fun. It was a lot of black, like, unity, a lot of... It was very black. Mm -hmm. We had a very black experience. Yeah, people don't Uh, realize that. Yeah, because now everything's gentrified and, you know, we don't get a chance to see each other as often. A lot of us have moved to the South, like Kent, Covington... Uh, I think, like, the first time I seen somebody move, like, away from the neighborhood, quote-unquote, like, I had my aunt move to Des Moines, and that was, like, <laughs> that's hella far, you know, yeah, but, yeah. Um, man, grew up, man, playing sports uh, in the South End, playing for Inner Beach, um, you know, just loved it, loved all the relationships I made, the friends that I made, mm-hmm. it was dope. And was growing up in Seattle pivotal to your comedic development? Um... Oh, I never asked that before. I never thought about that either. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure the way that I tell jokes or the way that, you know, our sense of humor here, because we bag on each other a lot. That's very like mm-hmm. Seattle culture is, yeah. you know, you're going to climb the, the homies. Do you think that's black culture or Seattle culture? I think it is black culture, but I think there are different subsets, right? Like, the way that we yeah. climb here is different than people climb, the way people climb in Atlanta. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Can you give so me an I, example? Um, yeah, just like some of the slang, like, what's that, like, hella or filthy, yeah. you know, yeah. stuff like that. People don't like that. Oh yeah, when you travel, yeah, <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, but you notice like some of the things that we glorify from other from other places. Right, Seattle adapts it. We glorify it. We lift mm-hmm. it up. Other places they reject it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but I do think, I do think uh, there it, it was kind of um, impactful for me. You know, it's like growing up here and being able to just see some of the things I saw, mm-hmm. meet some of the people that I met. You know, because uh, like we're really Bay heavy here as far as like, the influence. Yeah. And so, you know, when you go different places, you take that with you. Right. And you can see the differences immediately, especially with some of the comments, especially down in L.A. where it's a melting pot of everybody from everywhere. Yeah. You know? I feel like it's becoming more and more like that here, too. Yeah, Culturally speaking, mm-hmm. um, we have a little bit of everyone just kind of like that. But I do think it has to do with so many transplants coming. Of course. Um, yeah. How did you know you were funny? I knew I was controversial before I knew I was funny. I didn't think in terms of being funny. Okay. I knew that the things that I said, people paid attention to. Right, like growing up, uh, I always wanted like my own radio show. Like I used to intern for um, DJ Hyphen and Jay Moore at Cube ninety three. Rest okay. in peace to Jay Moore. Uh, and they had the Sunday night sound session. And not only did they play music, but they had stems where they would talk. And I always loved like morning talk radio, like Cube ninety three. So I always wanted to do that. And then you know, so we would create like platforms, and we would be on like the Facebook videos before a lot of people were doing it. You know, just giving think pieces. Uh, we had like a little documentary that we filmed uh, some years ago, and I just knew that I always had controversial takes okay. or like the unpopular opinion. And then it was like, well, how do you make it to where people can digest it? Because I'm gonna say something that people may not like, right? But it has to be digestible, so it's gotta be funny. And so I just started trying to like, you know, get people to like it more than they agree with me. What was your delivery like when you were being controversial versus being comedic? <laughs> I would just say stuff, you okay. know, and. I'm not sure why people always pay attention to my voice, 
But I always knew that whatever I would say something, people would, would tune in. So it was like, first it was just controversial. I'd be mad or I was charged up a certain way, you know, and that's not good for mm-hmm. any take because then people feel like you're just being super passionate. And then it was like, well, okay, let me throw a little bit of comedy in there just to make people feel a little more at ease, you know, and can hear me a little bit more. Yeah. If you make somebody laugh, then you got them open, yeah. you know. Well, how did you know to naturally do that, though, to like add a comedic factor to whatever you're saying it wasn't natural to be honest okay it was uh it was calculated because i wanted to be heard of course mm-hmm. anybody who speaks a lot wants to be heard yeah they want you know their opinions to be valued but i was like but people aren't hearing me they just feel the way mm-hmm. now i want you to really hear me before you think to break down what i said okay you know and so that's when we start cracking jokes and stuff like that but you're an adult at this point not a I, yeah i think i, I might have been like about early 20s okay yeah. Okay. And what was your first gig? I mean, I know you did interning with Cube ninety three. Did you consider that a gig, like a comedic um, gig? Not or? a comedic gig, no. Okay. But it, I've always wanted to do documentaries. I love just the human experience and documenting it. So that, to me, again, along with like morning radio things like that, they all play into the same thing for me. My first actual gig, like doing stand up. Yeah. And I hired to do stand up. I think I was like twenty one or twenty two, and it was at the um, the Red Lion. I think over in Sea uh, Tech. And they gave me a 10 minute set, which was terrible. You cannot, if you don't have shit to say, you better not get on there and not, because you don't know how to tell jokes. You don't know how to captivate an audience. You don't know none of that stuff. And mm-hmm. so you don't know how to not step on your own jokes and things like that. So it didn't go really well. <laughs> it didn't go too well, but it never discouraged me. Okay. I just knew I didn't know how to do it. How do you know it didn't go well? I didn't get invited back. There was no, there was no <laughs> second invite back to the. Uh, Did anyone laugh? I got some laughs. Okay. I wrote some jokes, but I don't know, you know, how well they went over. But then I started repeating myself on certain things, and mm-hmm. I just wanted to fill the time. Mm-hmm. And that's terrible as a comic. You okay. trying to fill the time. Okay. And so, yeah. you describe yourself as a comedian and an entertainer. Can mm-hmm. you tell us the difference between the two of them? Um, because everything's not funny all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you're entertaining people, you know, you're just holding attention. Mm-hmm. Um, as a comedian, your job is to laugh and to educate. You know, or to make someone laugh and to educate at the same time. But entertainers, you know, they do a plethora of things, right? Like you wouldn't consider a dancer a comedian, right? No. They're just supposed to be able to be knowledgeable about whatever it is you're speaking about. Mm-hmm. Again, hold someone's attention. That's entertainment. Because okay. I write as well. Okay. You know, so. Do you write jokes for other people? Uh, I have. Yeah. Okay. Not, not often. I, I'm not, um, I think to, at that point, I think you got to be really, really good. I'm decent. Okay. But I know some really, can we curse in here? Mm-hmm. I, I know some funny motherfuckers, man, uh-huh. and I'm not the funniest person in my group, so I don't feel like uh, it's my place to write for other people just yet. What about like doing skits? Would you ever consider like writing a skit for? Oh yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, writing yeah. skits, writing sketches, things like that's different, okay. you know, because it's more situation based mm-hmm. as opposed to you're writing a joke specifically tailored for someone else. How would you define your comedic style? Man, I don't know just yet, still, because I'm still so new in my journey. It's only been like two years, you know. Like only two I, years? What? It's only been two years since I got back into, like, taking comedy serious, you know, uh, and having that opportunity. And so, I, I still don't know. You know, I'm just trying to make people laugh. And, you're just, in, you're still in development. Yeah, but somebody told me, one of, one of the homies told me recently, he was like, I can tell that you write your jokes. He was like, it's a really well thought out. He was like, you do, I have a joke about Hunter Biden, and I have a joke about, like, the Biden family. And he was like, you can talk about, like, politics really well. And I was like, man, do I want to be that type of... Yeah. You know, the type of I want to be well rounded and I want to be somebody who's educational and informative. That's, That's what I would like to yeah. be. You know, yeah. I listen to Bill Burr a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, you listen to Chappelle and you hear these guys talk about, you know, just like the political climate. 
Mm. And you want to be able to do that in a funny way, of course, you know. But I do think, like, I want to be able to be intelligent with whatever I deliver. I know you said you're in L.A. right now, mm-hmm. your home. So where are some of the places that you performed? Like, uh, memorable places that you performed? Oh, in L.A., my biggest opportunity was at the Comedy Store. I did the Comedy Store. I think I saw that. Was that on YouTube? Uh, that- no, I don't have that. I wish I had that on YouTube. Okay. But I did the Comedy Store for a quick five-minute joint. I did the Hollywood Improv for a seven-minute set, which was like... At that time, I almost flipped out because I was like, I'm about the Hollywood Improv. Like, these places you see, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I've done Flappers in L.A. Done, um, my One of my dudes runs with the, the Cookies Mike in L.A. It's downtown. It's not as popular, but I love it because I love Sean. Uh, and Sean, I love, you know, shows he puts on. Mm-hmm. We've been to some yeah, some pretty cool stages down there, but those are like the, the standouts for me. And then who are some of the people you've got a chance to open up for? Oh, man. Um... First and foremost, I want to thank my guy, uh, Shakori Young. Corey is a hilarious dude, man. He's a, a comedy. He's younger than me, but I call him my uh, my mentor. Uh-huh. And he teaches me a lot about just comedy in general and how to deliver, you know. Uh, Niles Absin, who is a fantastic comic and writer. He writes for the show uh, Dave on FX. Okay. Uh, he's super dope. And I think he's applying for a position at another, writing for another show. I can't talk about it, but yeah. we, and we just did the film out in, um, in Boston uh, this past uh this past month, um, 98 Honda. So those guys are great. Um, Danny Sellers, um, I forgot Marcus's last name, but there's a comedy Marcus. He runs with Corey. Mm-hmm. Super funny dude, man. Um, Sean Bloomstein down there. Um, Celine Johnson, I've been able to open up for. Mm-hmm. So there's. Are, are these people all over the, the country? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Everybody's in LA. Everybody's in LA. Yeah. Oh, wow. How did your LA. home base become LA? Because. Uh, that's the only place I was able to do comedy consistently. Uh-huh. Our scene sucks here mm-hmm. like in Seattle, and there's a lot of gatekeeping up here, which I don't appreciate. What does that mean? Like, like people keep you from doing certain things. You got to impress this person to get on the stage, and it's like, no, I want to just go jump on the stage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, oh my God, Leonard Smith. I opened for Leonard. Hired, got him for a couple of shows uh, out in Pasadena. That's tight. I love him. Appreciate him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, here it's very like white women heavy and like. You know, there's a, there's a couple of white women who, like, ran a lot of the open mics. If they don't like you, you're not going to get on stage. Mm. And that's not the spirit of what comedy should be, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, I'm glad you're in L.A. I feel like yeah, the, no, the, listen, the energy's better, probably. Yeah, yeah. man. It's just, and it's just, like, the spirit of being a newcomer. Everybody yeah. wants to see you do well. Yeah. You know, so uh, my homegirl, Courtney Haynes, is a phenomenal comic as well. She's on All Dev Digital doing stuff with them. Like, I remember uh, I bombed one night. Did not have the night I wanted to have. Mm-hmm. And she immediately came up to me off stage. She was like, I got notes for you. And she pulled me to the side. She was like, <laughs> you know, do this and do yeah. that. You know, and next time you go here, like, don't do X. You know, and it's like, you don't see that here. Yeah. Like, the comic community down there, even though it can be kind of chippy sometimes, yeah. but it's like, there's a lot of love. Mm-hmm. And people want to see you do well. So, I love that. I appreciate that. Because now you got to pay that forward to the next person. Yeah. You yeah. know? Um, and do you ever remember a moment being on stage? Oh, it was good and bad. I'm telling you. That <laughs> that night at the improv, man, yeah. they had me headline. Well, not headlining, but I was a closer. Okay. And I didn't know. It was a lot of pressure. Because these guys going on before me were killing it. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I'm telling you, like, the dude that was on right before me, he was oh, he was doing his thing. And so the homeboy um, who booked me for the show, he didn't tell me I was closing. But he had a lot of faith in me. And so, like, I can tell. He's, like, hyping me up, you know. <laughs> and I get there, man. And I had, like, wrote some new jokes, too. Mm-hmm. Bad idea. Whew. 
terrible you idea. You get to test them before you got out nah, there. You just are like, just, this is coming out raw. I just thought that was going to hit, you know? Yeah. Especially the start. I remember I went, uh, went with Niles to uh, Portland. Mm-hmm. To the Portland show. This is a uh, beginning of September when I first came back to Seattle. Yeah. And killed it. Ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Killed it out there. Went to uh, went to Vancouver two days later. Killed it out there too. Okay, well, other than the people that you already mentioned, is there a comedian that inspires you? You know who I like a lot, Mo Gilliam. Mo Gilliam. He's a uh, he's a British comic. He's a black dude. He has a mm-hmm. special on um, on Netflix right now. I think he's about a year old, but he's super funny. To me. What's it called? Mo to Life. Mm-hmm. It's a Mo to Life. Something that like sounds that. familiar. Like I've seen it. Yeah. Okay. He's super funny to me. And he's just like a regular dude, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you can be a regular person in comedy. Like, you don't have to have some crazy story. You know, you don't have to have like, a tragedy. Like, I feel like that's what like, people from Seattle, I feel like a lot of times when we go do something amazing, it has to be because of some type of traumatic event. Right. It's like, no, you can just be a normal person. Just go do normal shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And talk about your normal experiences. Yeah. Do you think that just makes them relatable to other people, or why? I think they think it's relatable. Okay. I think that people trauma hunt. Okay. I think a lot of times, you know, like when yeah. people trauma bond. Yeah. I think people trauma hunt. Like, man, you know, what's the story like? What did you go through? Like, right. what happened to you? It's like mm-hmm. nothing. I'm just normal. I just got a late start. I didn't do this until mm-hmm. later in life. Trauma hunt. I need to unpack that. Yeah. Like, what if I trauma hunt and I didn't you might. think about it? Yeah, I think I think we're tuned to though. Yeah. I think what well, social media is done to us, and we see like, all these stories every day, right? Like, every day on your timeline. There's some sad sob story. So if we also trauma hunt, then why do we also want to laugh? Like, why is comedy so pivotal to our experience, even the black experience? Because right? comedy is healing. Yeah, laughing is healing. It's like I've had a, I, this week's been a really tough week for me. Um, it's been one of the toughest weeks I've had in a long time. And every opportunity that I can get to laugh, I try to because now I feel better and I can leave whatever bad emotions mm-hmm. behind. And you know, you try to seek that out. You know, but, and some people don't know how. You ever been, have you ever been depressed? You experienced depression before? Of course, yeah. Like, every day is a bad day. Mm -hmm. Not even a bad day, just to start every day. When you first wake up, the day is long. Right. You first wake up, you're tired, right? And so sometimes, you know, eventually, like, that great great cloud lifts. Mm -hmm. And then in your mind, subconsciously, you look for that great cloud, right? Mm -hmm. You seek out things that make you depressed because now you're comfortable in your depression. And then it's like, but when you get that laugh... Like, that's the break in the clouds. That's the sun coming through. Mm-hmm. And, but some people just turn away from it because it's such an uncomfortable feeling sometimes. Man, some of the funniest times that I've had in life, I don't want to say funniest, but some of the most active times I've had, I'm my most depressed. Mm-hmm. Like, I, we did everything. We was, man, drugs, alcohol, women, parties, yeah. every day, loud music, all the, you know, yeah. everything. Even all, And I was even working out. I was working out constantly. I was in great shape. Everything was just like, I was my most depressed. Do you think a good comedian provides humor as well as social commentary? I don't think they have to. Okay. I think a good comedian is somebody who can hold your attention and make you laugh. Yeah. I think to go to another level, I think that uh, a good comedian can bring you social commentary and they're going to force you to think mm-hmm. about whatever the jokes are. And that's how I try to write my jokes. Right? I want you to think about the thing. So I was saying, like, I have a Hunter Biden joke, and it's really just a play on our American political system. Mm-hmm. Now, the way we consume the world around us now is so different than like generations before us. Yeah. Um, I just, I especially like with the comedy. Like so many people tune into SNL every Saturday to I don't get know why. to get, but they oh, they yeah. tune in to get like their news and what's happening in the world because mm-hmm. a lot of them don't know yeah. and they won't know if it, they do not go on the Daily Show or mm-hmm. on on SNL like things like that. 
Okay, going back to the comedy part, just real quick. Yep. Do you ever think about your predecessors in comedy, like Dick Gregory, Red Fox? Like, Absolutely. Like, what, if any, impact does that have on you and your comedic style? It makes you approach things with integrity. It makes you approach things from, for me at least. Uh-huh. I've, I've been thinking about Red Fox a lot lately. Okay. One of my favorite uh, people in history is Malcolm X, and I just found out that him and Red Fox used to be roommates. Mm. And they were like best friends, you know what I'm saying, for a long time. I didn't know that. It was Chicago Red and Detroit Red. And I didn't know that either. And so I've been looking at the Red Fox a lot more. There was an a interview with Pat Morita. You know who Pat Morita is? From the Karate Kid? He was uh, Mr. Miyagi? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, was a, um, it was an interview with him, and he he did an impersonation of Red Fox. He said Red Fox uh, gave him $3,500 to help purchase his first home. And the interview was spot on. I mean, like, the impression he did was spot on. But it was like he did that for him, and he's been, he was like, don't pay me back. Just, just do this for someone else. Right. You know, moving forward. And it's like that spirit of the comments that came before us mm. just black entertainers period you know mm. um, you want to be able to set a foundation like that and create a legacy right you know what I mean yeah. like I think about Childish Gambino and the legacy that he's creating right now mm-hmm. it may not be all comedy but as far as entertainment goes he's creating and you know providing the wave I think of um, I think about Niles Miles Epson and like what he's getting ready to do yeah and like the journey he's on my god Danny just did his comedy special mm-hmm. you know I think about the foundation of your legacy and then how you continue it. Bernie Mac is my favorite comic of all time. I think about, you know, what he did. But when you think about Bernie, you think about, like, Teddy King's a comedy. You think about the TV show, yeah. right? You think about the Dev Jam special. You don't think about the show that he used to have on HBO. Yeah. Back in the, that was like a sketch comedy back in the day. Yeah. You don't think about all the times that he was on, all these different shows and specials and things like that help you get to where you are, mm-hmm. you know? You think about all the biggest and brightest moments. So it's yeah. like with all that work that's laid, all that foundation, all those years of being known but not known, I'm gearing up for that. And I'm getting started at a, a late age. I'm 36. I feel like you're still young. I feel like, <laughs> if you ask women I date, I'm still young. I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> he's immature. He's, yeah, okay. he's a kid. Well, I don't mean it like that. I'm no, I know. Like I'm just... Part mm-hmm. of the reason that I am just now finding out myself because I had to like unlearn a lot of stuff that I... Ooh adopted when I was young yeah. and then find out who I really was and what I really wanted to do not what other people wanted me to do of course so I don't know if that like you know resonates with your story exactly but yeah. that's that's a huge part of why it just it was really a moment for me that made me say okay you know what I really do, I want to do this I don't know what I'm doing and I found out more and more as I started doing it that I did not know what I was doing but now yeah, yeah here I am and that's I'm like <laughs> okay I'm doing it. Okay. Yeah. I'm figuring it out. Even with this, like you helping me with the podcast and stuff like that. Like I'm going to make mistakes and it's okay to make mistakes until I get to where I'm going. But still make mistakes right. then too. When I played football growing up, I had a coach who said, if you're going to make a mistake, make it big. And like if you're going to okay. miss a tackle, you better go blow somebody else up. You better, you know <laughs> what I mean? If you don't do something, like if you don't make a mistake, make it big. I tell my daughter that too. Yeah. Like she plays volleyball now. So okay. it's like, if you're going to be on that court and you miss, you know, like returning the serve or Whatever. You better dive hard. You better mm-hmm. lunge after the ball. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're not going to serve over the net, mm-hmm. you better destroy the net. You know what I mean? It's whatever, it, whatever it may be, give it yeah. all. And so we're going to make mistakes, period. Yeah. It's just going to happen. But I'm glad to make mistakes. It's a learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my background is in sales. So I've taken a sales mentality to yeah. for a lot of stuff. It's yeah. uh, windows of opportunity, areas of opportunity. Mm-hmm. When, you're not, when you're not good at something, yeah. I want to motivate somebody. It's not telling them, hey, you suck here. Exactly. You know? Yeah. It's just an area of opportunity. You have the opportunity to do better. You have an opportunity to be greater at what, whatever it was mm-hmm. before so you can improve. Yeah. I don't think I was given that language until I became an adult. Yeah. That it was an area of opportunity. It was mm-hmm. like, you messed up. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
you made a mistake. It was there was no like okay now let's move on and like figure it out from here. Right. It was just very dismal in that moment. Mm-hmm. So I think I had to like give myself the grace to understand that all my st- mistakes are learning opportunities yeah. where I can grow. But you got to be with like a mentor or somebody who can yeah. give you that verbiage, yeah. right? And that confidence. Yeah. And if you mess up again, then it's familiar. You don't even really care about it no more. Exactly. That's why it tells you that it's an area that you can grow in. Yeah. Now it's like, okay, I'm going to try not to make that mistake. And if I do, damn, mm-hmm. I'm telling myself and I want to improve. Right. I noticed you do that with your comedy too, with your friend giving you notes and say, hey, try this, do this. Yeah. So like. I mean, it was a sales from the time I was 18 years old till yesterday. You got to think and be more positive, but that takes work. And you got to train yourself to be positive. Mm-hmm. It's not just a natural mindset. It's easy to get down. And because some people want to beat you down. Like, you know how many times? And your other art firms that you're interested in, you do photography. Mm-hmm. You said documentaries. Mm-hmm. Screenwriting, podcasting, okay. yeah. Okay. Tell me a little bit more about that. Like, how did you get into all those things? Yeah, and I got to whittle it down. I have okay. to right now. You do. I'm trying not to do photography Why? so much. Why? Uh, I have a focus now. So okay. you can't just be scatterbrained and be everywhere, you know? Uh, I have things that I want to grow in. I think there are some things on the outside of that. Yeah. Like, you know, like photography. I love photography. I do. But I don't have the time to dedicate to it like I want to, you know? Mm-hmm. Screenwriting got into because I want to make films. Okay. And there's no industry. Documentary films or just any kind of Just film, period. Okay. I love cinema. I love film. I love movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then documentaries not doing so much either. I want to, like, I want to get far into my career acting and comedy. And then once I buy myself some time and I can go do... I'm not sure if you've seen it's like a recent string of like athletes or former athletes who are now photographers like in the sport that they play, right? Like mm-hmm. Randy Johnson from yeah. the Maryland, he's like a photographer. Mm-hmm. King Griffith Jr. now is a photographer. Like a lot of these guys, but they had a career already that they were great in. Yeah. Now they're doing whatever their passion shit is. You know what I mean? I need to stick to the thing that I'm great at or going to be great at first. Yeah. Let me get far into that and then afford myself an opportunity to do something else. Mm-hmm. I love writing scripts. I love telling stories. You know, that's where the documentary comes from. Do you have a favorite film? A favorite movie? Probably Malcolm X. But if I, my favorite action film, though, is uh, Mission Impossible 3. My favorite romance movie is The Notebook. Wow. I did not expect you to say that. Absolutely. I love that movie. Really? I used to hate that why, movie. Why? Is it the story? Is it the script? Yeah, it no, it's the story. I don't even know what it did. The filmography? Um, no, but I do like the setting of the film, though, in the South. Yeah. Like, uh, I think they were in Savannah. I've seen it, but it was such a long time ago. Come on, though. You can. I've I mean, seen it yeah. one time, and I was like, "Ugh." You said, "Ugh." Yeah, I know. I know. Don't be mad. I'm just. I'm super skeptical of like love stories, so it has to really. Oh, because they're kind of cheesy. Kind of like my favorite love story is probably Casablanca, but it's not for the reason everyone else loves it. It's because of the ending. Think that love is way more complicated than a lot of us. I think so too. Assume it is, and yeah. so we always think it's going to work out, or there's an opportunity. I think the reality of it is. That you may not be with the person that you love the most in the world. I'm with you. Yeah. Look here. Yeah. You and I, right here. So, Connected. Look. I mean, like, I have loved a lot of people, but I don't think, like, I wanted to be with them. So, yeah. Like, and that's yeah. true. I think that's a love story, too. It is. Like, the, I appreciate you. I love you. And that's how stories should be told, yeah. right? With realism yeah. and yeah. truthfulness. But right? I'm not yeah. a big fan of love stories in that way. Like, Because that, that's a traditional, like, lovey-dovey. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. But I think I like it because of that. I think I like the dedication to it. Mm-hmm. I like the storyline. And I'm a, I'm a sap. I am. I love romance. I'll say this. Mm-hmm. And there were times I wasn't the person that I thought I was in that relationship. I and what we do I think as arrogant people anybody who's confident in themselves has the ability to be arrogant mm-hmm. and I think arrogance kills a lot of what your growth could be I overvalued a lot of what I brought to the table mm-hmm. and I thought that was going to be enough I thought these things that are really intangible 
I thought they were going to be enough to sustain and get me to get us to a different place, right? Mm-hmm. When I wasn't paying attention to what was tangible yeah. and I wasn't being accountable, you know, when it comes to finances or, you know, whatever else. Yeah. And it's like, you can overvalue yourself. Arrogance kills a lot of shit, I think. And I didn't see it until it was done already. Mm-hmm. Now that it's done, I'm trying to go back and be like, look, look now though. You know, look at, look at me now. Look at the great job I have now. Look at the money I have now. It's like, bro, it's too late. Mm-hmm. You know, so... That's why, like you said, but love is, it's not just a straight line. It's not just, you know, I love you, but I can't be with you. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you love me, but you don't want to be with me for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And I've given you that reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so where do you see yourself going from here? But just uh, doing shows, though. Doing shows, yeah. doing films. I just, uh, we wrapped the film, 9800. I was the assistant director on that. Mm-hmm. And I um, I love that role, being an AD. I've been an AD before. So just being involved in more film projects from a production standpoint. Helping some of the homies out with their uh, comedy specials. Mm-hmm. Corey's uh, birthday is December 3rd. We are going to do his comedy special then, but we pushed it back. Now we're doing it February 11th in Chicago. Okay. If there's anybody in Chicago who's listening to this, come on out, man. Come on out to the I.O. February 11th. Uh, but just helping produce. I want to be the Robert Townsend to all my friends' projects. I want okay. to help produce, write, help you know, put people shit on. People don't realize how much he does. Or has done. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I don't think people know that he like produced Raw for Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's Robert Townsend. And then he had his own show. And yeah. he's done several movies. And he wrote on this. And he was just recently in the a show, The Bear. And I want a career like John Mulaney. The white boy comic. You know the show, the show Big Mouth? John Mulaney's amazing. Yeah. He has a new comedy special out. He talks about, like, his, uh, you know, drug usage. And mm-hmm. white people get to do that. White folks can talk about their drug yeah. addiction. Whatever. Do you see animation in your future? Like, some of course, yeah. animation? I, uh, so I have a script now that I'm... We, they, wanted, they want me to turn into a manga first. Okay. Instead of just, because uh, I wanted to go straight cartoon. Mm-hmm. I wrote this script. I wrote like four episodes. And I gave it to a couple of the homies who were interested in animation. Yeah. And they were like, let's turn this into a manga. If you get the manga fans, they're automatically going to watch the cartoon. That's true. It's really hard to go in reverse. Well, so this is going to air at the end of the month. Uh-huh. Do you have anything like in December that you want people to like tune into? Um, like share? No, we have our ugly sweater party uh, December 16th. You should okay. come out. Uh, I'm trying to turn it into a comedy festival every year. This will be our third year doing it. Um, last year we had over 100 people come out, so it was... When it, where is it at? It'll be uh, the Jackson Street Apartments, 23rd in Jackson, right across from the uh, the Starbucks over there. It's going to be lit, man. I'm super excited. Are we uh, taking up donations? Yeah. Okay. We need some donations. You guys, it costs to put these parties on. So yeah. if you guys need to, you know, somebody throw us some, a couple bucks, man, some alcohol, some sponsorship, okay. some something, you know, we can use whatever we can get. Yeah, like I said, I want to turn it into a comedy festival because I know there's Nate's in Tacoma, you know, Nate Jackson, shout out to him. Yeah, yeah. But there's no black comedians in Seattle doing anything for Seattle. I'm born and raised here. I want to be able to bring something back here. Well, thanks for providing some more insight and understanding about the comedic culture here. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you being here. Yeah, of course.